Welcome back to the Birth Class Podcast. This is our last episode in our Cervical Check little mini-series. The previous episode, so episode 15, was like a general overview of some reasons that you may want to decline a cervical check. Episode 16 looked more specifically at the cervical checks that are happening in your prenatal appointments, like in later pregnancy. Episode 18, we talked about the cervical check to be admitted into the hospital. So like they usually, usually what I hear from moms is they say, well, I can't, they won't admit me to the hospital without a cervical check. So we cover that in episode 18. And today we're going to talk about the cervical checks in labor. And I feel like this is the area where moms are the most concerned with, like they're like, this is where they want to decline. So maybe they're, they're more open to the cervical checks at admissions or in late pregnancy, but they're more concerned with the cervical check happening in labor. And we're going to go over exactly why that is. Real quick before we jump in though, I want to make sure you know about an awesome freebie I have for you. If you're listening to the birth class podcast because you are DIYing your birth education, you probably know you need to research the hospital birth a little bit, and maybe you don't know where to start. And that's why I made this freebie resource for you. It's an intervention research checklist. It has everything on there that may come up when you're birthing in the hospital. That way you're prepared and you're not blindsided and you know your options. Because if you don't know your options, you really don't have any. And that's the biggest drawback of the hospital birth is you're very rarely given informed consent, meaning you're not given the risks, you're not given the benefits, you're not giving the alternatives. And very often what is happening is you're just told what to do for the sake of routine, for the sake of policy, and it's not really individualized for you. So if you're planning a hospital birth, you need to go grab that checklist so that you come to the hospital birth knowing your options, knowing the risks and the benefits, just in case your provider isn't filling you in on those. So you can go grab this download over at lizzieballiger.com slash DIY checklist, and it's going to walk you through exactly where to start and what to be researching so that you feel really empowered and really educated walking into your hospital birth. All right, let's get started on cervical checks during labor. I want to remind you that you absolutely can pick and choose when you want a cervical check, which kind of cervical check you want. Like maybe you were okay for the one at admissions. Maybe you don't want any now that you're in active labor. It's totally up to you. Your provider should be asking permission to check your cervix each time. And that should you know prompt you to make the decision that's best for you in that moment. And if your provider is not asking permission, which is actually really common for them to not not really ask permission, but just tell you that they want to check your cervix or they need to check your cervix. Um, But regardless of how your provider is going about initiating the cervical check, it should be very obvious that your provider is going to check your cervix because they're going to, they're going to say something or they're going to tell you to lay on your back or, or whatnot. And you can always interrupt and decline, even if they're not asking you permission. And if they're not asking you permission, you should really nicely or maybe even not so nicely prompt them that they should be asking you permission letting them know that you would prefer if they would ask your permission before touching your body before performing a cervical check um, that sort of thing so absolutely you should be interrupting them to prompt them 
to address you in a, in the way that you prefer because a lot of times they're just they're just doing their job and they're just going through their checklist and um they just need that reminder and hopefully that's it and it doesn't get uh it doesn't turn into like a power struggle because that does happen unfortunately sometimes too um so regardless of if you're choosing the cervical check previously so like let's say you let them check your cervix an hour ago or maybe you didn't let them check your cervix an hour ago or maybe you put on your birth plan no cervical checks and now you want cervical checks uh it's absolutely up to you and you get to choose each time if you want them if you don't want them now if you're saying no cervical checks that's on your birth plan you've told them you don't want cervical checks and they keep coming in and asking you they're being that's very manipulative and coercive of them so and if you're not prompting if you're not the one saying hey i want a cervical check you need to remind them do not come in here and ask if i want a cervical check i will let you know and if they're continuing to do that you can ask for um like the head nurse ask for someone different get someone different in your room because they're not respecting your wishes okay so you're in labor you're admitted every hospital is different on their cervical check routine like how how often are they coming in to check service cervixes <laughs> i'm having a hard time saying check and cervix next to each other repeatedly um some some providers in some hospitals it just depends what the atmosphere is and how supportive of normal birth they are um but i've heard some some women say, oh yeah, my hospital will said they're going to check every two hours. Um, I've heard other providers say, oh, you know, you're having an unmedicated birth. So, you know, you can labor in here and we'll come back in four to six hours. So really leaving you be undisturbed for long amounts of time. Every place has a different routine. Um, so, but what we previously talked about with cervical checks is that when you're checking the cervix, it doesn't really tell you anything other than exactly what's happening to your cervix at that exact moment. So two hours versus six hours, like there's not really a benefit to checking every two hours versus every six hours or whatever their routine is. And remember that the more cervical checks you get, the higher your risk of infection. So if we're doing cervical checks every two hours, really that's kind of irresponsible for a mom that may be there for hours and hours and hours because now we're introducing bacteria. We could we could introduce an infection. It's going to show up in a fever. And when that happens, they, you know, we don't know if it's safe for baby if mom is showing signs of infection. So they want baby out ASAP, whether that's a cesarean or um, it starting pitocin okay so keep that in mind so a few problems with that cervical check in labor is if they're checking you every two four six hours they're expecting that your dilation is going to fit some sort of pattern some sort of standard measure so that's the first problem and then the second problem is it's just interrupting physiological birth it's interrupting your mojo the cervical check is not part of physiological birth. You don't need your cervix checked. Your baby's gonna come if you get your cervix checked or if you don't get your cervix checked. So let's talk about those a little bit more. So expecting dilation to fit a certain standard. 
a lot of times what I read is that the standard is, I'm sure there's like a graph somewhere. And in fact, I know there is like, uh, it's, I can't remember what it's called. It's some sort of curve that labor is supposed to follow based on dilation and how much progress you're making over time and how long your labor is. And that's just not, that's just not the case. Um, so a lot of times they're almost expecting you like, oh, if it's going the way it should be, you're going to be dilating one centimeter per hour or whatever that hospital follows as their guidelines. Well, as with most things, birth doesn't just fit a specific mold. Yes, birth does follow the same process. Typically, it's the same, you know, stages of labor. Our bodies are doing the same thing, but they all do it in their own way. And there's lots of different factors that could cause your labor to be much faster or much shorter. So, I mean, I like to use the example of the mom, the mom that's walking into the hospital in labor. She's at two centimeters and then she has her baby in an hour. That was me. I did that. And then the mom who is at her prenatal appointment and she's five centimeters and she's having her baby in a week. So this is what I mean when I say when you're looking at the cervix, it's not really telling you anything about what your body is going to do in the future. It's just telling you what the cervix is doing at that time. It's just really a guess. Okay. I mean, it's giving you some information, but it's not telling you anything about how labor is going to go forth from this moment. And the same goes for the actual measurement here. Okay. <laughs> We're not like shining a flashlight up there and measuring it with a ruler. It's literally a guess in the dark. And when we're measuring the cervix, it's not, it's not exact. It's not precise. Every provider's hand is a different size. Every provider is going to have an estimate that's different from it. So what I'm saying, one provider could come in and say one measurement and another provider could come in and say one centimeter more, one centimeter less. Um, it's more of, it's more of a guess. It's more of like, okay, I'm going to measure your cervix and it's okay. We're at three to four centimeters. It is a ballpark. It's not like, Oh, we're at 3.5 centimeters. I need to see you at four centimeters in 30 minutes. It's just not realistic. It's not how it works. So that's really important to consider when we're trusting or trying, we're trying to trust that our body is doing its thing. When you are checking the cervix, that's that's showing that there's some doubt that you just don't trust that your cervix is going to do what it's supposed to do. You don't trust that the contractions that you're experiencing are doing what they are supposed to do. So you're having to have someone else validate that, yes, your body works. And we just, you don't, it's not necessary. Um, and it can really be detrimental because, again, someone's three centimeters could be someone else's four centimeters. Someone could even measure your cervix at one point and think it's four centimeters and then measure it again and still say, mm, we're still kind of at four, but maybe you're at 4.75. And being at six for a time and not progressing to seven or progressing to eight, or maybe, maybe you are dilating, but you over an hour or two hours, that measurement, it's just, you know, you've been dilating. It's so silly to say like, oh, you went from six to seven. It's, it's not like precise. It's not a science. Your cervix is just opening up. Um, but when we expect it to be like that, 
I mean, this could be the difference between a provider letting you continue to labor and telling you you need a cesarean for failure to progress. The difference of a centimeter could, could land you a cesarean. Um, and when we're talking about different providers measuring differently, when we're talking about um, not really being able to identify 0.75 centimeters of progress, like you can't measure that precisely with your fingers. This is why a lot of moms have cesareans and failure to progress is one of the top two reasons that moms have cesareans. And it's a very arbitrary, you know, it's a judgment call. It's based on each provider's best judgment based on what's happening with the mom and what's happening with the cervix. So that in in and of itself is a disruption to physiological birth. Boom, right there. We're expecting biology to match up perfectly to one centimeter per hour. And not all providers are like that. Not all are super rigid and will rush you. Some will let you be and just kind of check some progress here and there. But we just, birth doesn't follow a linear pattern. And that is disruptive of physiological birth in and of itself. But some other ways that the cervical check disrupts physiological birth. So those were the two big problems, right? Expecting it expecting dilation or progress to fit a standard measure and then interrupting physiological birth. Some other ways that the cervical check disrupts physiological birth. Well, it gets you on your back. For the mom that is having an unmedicated birth, a lot of the coping mechanisms, the the strategies that we talk about require you to never be on your back. I mean, I tell moms to never lay on their back. Um, We do talk about like resting positions, but it's never on your back because your pelvis can't open up when you're just laying flat on your tailbone. Um, So that's one way it disrupts it is it it gets you on your back. Now your pelvis isn't really like opening up and it's like physically disrupting physiological birth because it's making you stay still. which is very uncomfortable. It's it's very much more uncomfortable to be laying in a bed versus like standing and swaying or, or being in the shower. And providers are not, <laughs> this is another issue, providers are not coming to you in birth. They're expecting you to birth their way, which is why when they do cervical checks, they want you on your back, which is why when you are ready to birth your baby, they want you on your back in stirrups, okay? They're not coming to you. So it completely disrupts your mojo physically getting on your back. Um, And it also disrupts your birthing mojo mentally. Some women like hearing their progress. So for some women, it can be very motivating to get a cervical check and hear that they're at seven centimeters, they're at a, you know, that, th- that they are making progress. That can be very motivating. But the flip side is also true. It can also be very discouraging um, to hear, well, mm, you're still at three centimeters, you're still at five centimeters, or, oh, it's been three hours and you've dilated one centimeter. When, like I said, ultimately it doesn't really matter. So I, I really do feel like some women tend to be faster dilators and some women tend to be slower dilators. And so you find out at your first birth, whether it's encouraging or discouraging, and then you kind of carry that into your future births. But 
you really don't need to know. And if you can really just tune into your body and feel what your body is doing and, and be encouraged by the progress that you're feeling in terms of your contractions, um, and pressure that you're feeling on your pelvic floor and that sort of thing versus needing that number. It really requires you to 100% trust in the birth process and surrender to it. Um, I like to use this analogy when we talk about like it, the cervical check progress being like encouraging or discouraging is like, if you've ever ran on a treadmill, um, which is kind of like giving birth. It's like, uh, it's like <laughs> repetitive and it's like kind of exciting at first. And then it's like really redundant. And like, you kind of want to get off, but you're not done yet. <laughs> but, um, if you've ever ran on a treadmill and you've been the type to want to cover the screen. So I used to do this all the time when I used to like run <laughs> and go to a gym is put my like sweat towel over the screen. So I couldn't see and and just try to like block out everything else and just enjoy the here and the now like okay i got my music on i'm just gonna put one foot in front of the other um and i'm not gonna look it at the screen it's the same idea it's the same idea in birth to be like okay i don't care what centimeter i'm at i'm just gonna keep going forward and staying in the flow and birth is a lot like a marathon i mean people say this all the time they compare birth to a marathon because it's it's long um but it's also like a marathon because you just you can't just power through it i mean even moms that have precipitous births it's still kind of like this you, you just can't like sprint and be done you can't just like check it off the list so it really requires mental and physical stamina it requires strength and also it requires the ability to let go to the process um, just like running a marathon, like you can't just sprint to the end. You have to just keep moving and mentally like push forward, but also release and just go with the flow. So it's very much like that. Birth is very much like that. Um, and the last thing we need to talk about in terms of cervical checks in labor is that cervical check that okays you to start pushing. Oh, you can hear Louie over here. She's sleeping. She's sleeping in my arms. <laughs> She's getting a little fidgety. So I have a hard time with this one. I have a hard time believing that every single cervix is exactly 10 centimeters when it's time to push. Um, in fact, when you really know like how the cervix works and 10 centimeters isn't it's not a measurement once we're 10 centimeters but what we actually call a cervix that's 10 centimeters is we say it's complete and what it is when it's complete it's completely gone so you can't feel the cervix in there because it's completely pulled back and it's just vaginal opening now um, and there's no more cervix it's so thin it's just it's just gone there's just nothing there's just nothing there it's not that it, there's, there's no 10 centimeter ruler in there telling your body, oh, okay, we're 10 centimeters. It's time for baby to descend through, you know, the cervix, through the birth canal. It's just all an intricate process. It's just not always linear. And one big reason that, that the pushing phase is so long sometimes, one reason, I mean, there's a couple of other reasons here, 
um, that we won't go into. But one reason is because providers are checking the cervix so often. They are rushing things along and that's why they're checking your cervix to be like, oh, okay, okay, let's move things along. Oh, yep, 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 check, check, check. And then they're like, oh, it, you're 10 centimeters. Let's get this baby out. And they're still rushing things along and they, they get you on your back and they start to coach you in pushing. Again, not all providers do this, but it, I, I'm still seeing it a lot. And it's just this big rush. And this is not how physiological birth works. It's not like 10 centimeters cues your body to start pushing your baby down. It just doesn't work like that. The cervix is not the only one indicator that it's time to push. Um, in fact, in most cases, we don't even need to push our baby out at all. Your contractions serve the purpose of first opening your cervix and second, pushing your baby through the birth canal. And waiting for the urge to push is actually evidence-based for better outcomes for mom and for baby. But the problem is, oh, your cervix is complete. You're 10 centimeters. Let's get you on your back and let's start pushing. And now you're you are doing purple pushing. That's what they call it sometimes. I, I usually call it coach pushing, um, which is going to move your baby through the birth canal, but you're pushing before your baby in your body is ready. And it's going to give you a long pushing phase, which if it's taking too long, we know they're going to rush you off and have a surgical birth to have a cesarean. So that's another reason to like wait for the urge to push which if you're not having cervical checks, how are they gonna know it's time for you to push? You're gonna listen to your body. You are gonna wait until you have the urge to push. Um, you're gonna wait until your body actually starts pushing your baby out on its own. So those are the reasons to limit cervical checks while you're in labor. I mean, outside of the one we talked about in episode 15, the big one is the risk of infection. That's the big evidence-based one. We know, you know research shows us that the more cervical checks you have, the higher the risk of infection. So that's a big reason not to, especially if your waters have broken already. Um, but if you were kind of leaning towards no cervical checks, I hope that this clarifies kind of why they're totally not necessary. And some reasons in terms of like physiological birth and what our body is doing that cervical checks really aren't, aren't needed. And, and if you do decide to get cervical checks that you kind of take that measurement with a grain of salt, like maybe you, you, you like to collect some data on what's going on and that's totally fine. That's totally an option that you have, but remember that it's just an estimate. It's not the only indicator that your body's doing what it's doing. And it's not the only indicator that it's time to push. So I would actually love to hear from some hospital birth moms who had no checks um, or very limited checks that had to decline checks. Um, again, this is something that often is happening in the midwifery model. In fact, I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, and this provider, and it was a home birth and the mom wanted to be checked. The mom, you know, I'm telling you when we want cervical checks, it's, we have a little bit of doubt, which is totally normal to doubt what's going on in childbirth, especially first time moms, but not even just first time moms. But so he's telling the story of this home birth and mom wanted a check. And he was like, what? <laughs> we don't do checks, but okay, if that's what she wants. Um, so it's very often in the midwifery model, we're not checking cervixes, especially midwives who are really supportive of physiological birth. Um, and it's something that 
if we're doing it at home, why can't we be doing it in the hospital as well? Obviously there's a huge mindset difference there, but I would love to hear from you if you had a hospital birth and you declined cervical checks, one or many or all, I would really love to hear from someone who had zero cervical checks in their hospital birth. I know there's some that like show up to, to the hospital like and baby's crowning. Obviously we can't do a cervical check in that point, but I'd love to hear someone who um, declined at admission, declined in the late late pregnancy, prenatal appointments, and then declined um, while in labor too, because I would love to hear your story and maybe even share it here on the podcast. So if that's you, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. And as always, if you liked this episode, I appreciate every share and every review from you. This is how we really get the word out to moms that they have options and letting them know their options so they can really make the best decision for them. That's the problem with the hospital birth is a lot of times we're just told what to do. And the more that we ask for what we want, the more providers will start to like really freaking understand that we want to make the choices in our birth, not them. So the more we ask for what we want is how we take back control of our birth. Thank you for spending some time with me today and I will see you next time.